0: Welcome, to the, Welcome to, to the 34 Circe Salon. Circe Salon. Welcome, Welcome to, to, to
1: Make Matriarchy make Great Again. Make matriarchy, matriarchy Again. Matriarchy 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 matriarchy. Matriarchy. again. Welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome to 34 Circe Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again. I'm Dawn Sam Alden, and we've got the band back together again today. I'm here with Sean Marlin Newcomb.
0: A light smattering of applause.
1: <laughs> and with our one and only Vicki Noble. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> welcome and uh, today we're going to be doing our international women's day episode Um, we've been talking about doing this for a while and uh, we wanted to take a sort of slightly different tack on it and look at it from a historical perspective Um, since I think I think sometimes the United States really doesn't quite know what to do with International Women's Day. E-
0: even um, though, oddly enough, it started here.
1: Even yeah. though it started in your own city of My New York, own
0: city that's right. Mm-hmm. Let's give New York a shout out with a little applause for that. Yeah, go. it did. It's uh, you know, it's funny. It's like you say, we don't know what to do with it, but it, it's. I don't know anywhere that they really know what to do to do with it. Looking at how it's celebrated around the world.
1: Yes, if you if you google what uh what t- you know the 10 best things to do on International Women's Day as Sean and I discovered uh yesterday one of the suggestions is you know invite a woman to coffee. <laughs> Give what, <her> chocolate. <laughs> what,
0: what better way to get a date than to <laughs>
1: Exactly. Use International Women's Day as an excuse to get a oh. date. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, So I'm going to hand it over to you, Sean, because you've done uh, research on the early history, um, the founding and early history of International Women's Day.
0: Yes, and I I make no claim to be a a historian of this, but just the, the little bit that I've gleaned looking at it. It's interesting. You know, we talk about, Dawn, you and I talk a lot about the women of the late 19th and early 20th century, particularly in the U.S., in the UK, um, but uh, this also uh, touched upon in Germany as well. So those those areas are really there because there was so much activity, so many women doing breaking so many barriers at this time, and so this also may be part of it. It's also tied a lot to the labor movement. Socialism yes. was a big part of it. Um, it's first organized by the Socialist Party of America in New York by a woman named Teresa Malkiel who was an activist and a suffragist and an educator. Uh, She herself was the daughter of immigrants, one of seven daughters, actually, Uh, one of seven sisters, I should say. And uh, her family had emigrated from Russia. They were Jewish immigrants from Russia. And she became a sort of a trade union activist and an organizer of working women. And this was sort of an idea to help yeah, put a spotlight on women's issues. Just like we say, this the more things change, the more they stay the same. So how do, you, how do you get people to pay attention to the issues of women? And right. this was one of the things that she came up with.
1: And keep in mind, this was still 11 years before um, the amendment to the Constitution to allow women to vote.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> she has uh, a little quote, I'll just... Uh, um, from something called like Where Do We Stand on the Woman? question, uh, which you could probably still say in the 2024 election. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her, her, the blurb is uh, For working women of today, the working woman of today finds herself between two fires. On the one hand, she faces the capitalist class, her bitterest enemy. It foresees a far reaching danger in her emancipation, and with all the ability of its money power, tries to resist her eventual advent into the civilized world. In her anguish, the working woman turns towards her brothers in the hope to find a strong support in their midst. But she is doomed to be disillusioned, for they discourage her activity and are utterly listless towards the outcome of her struggle.
2: Mm. Wow, that doesn't listless. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it has a kind of a current flavor
0: <laughs> yes i thought you might say that <laughs> well
2: i i remember reading about some kind of women's march that happened in new york e- earlier before they actually called it in international women's day that was mm-hmm. uh, they were marching for i don't know shorter work days, I think, and better pay. So it, it did have uh, socialist, already socialist uh, principles at work. But, um, but I think that it was inchoate. You know, it was like mm-hmm. thousands of women hit the streets.
0: Uh, but, it's, it's interesting you say that, too, because we'll come to it in just a little bit. But a similar thing happened in Russia in World War 1 and it gives rise to the Russian Revolution. It's this kind of, yes. you know, un- I thought
2: that was the most interesting tidbit that uh I found in the in all the historical
0: writings. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we talk about this all the time. We've said it a thousand times, but all the stuff the, the achievements of women are just so very easily erased.
2: Yeah, yeah, so easily, right? And it was they were they were uh Marching and uh, rising up because of the food
0: prices. The yeah, well, <laughs> let's we'll, we'll come back around to it. So I'll, let's get through the the Women's Day and then the the sort of the German aspect, and then we can come to the Russian. I guess they almost go like dominoes because so you get this set up in New York, and then these German socialists um, you know, are inspired by the idea. I guess Clara Zetkin is one of them. Um, I, did, I hadn't heard these women's names before. She was a feminist and socialist leader. Um, she was, you know, someone who was uh, very active in trying to make things better for workers. And they had um, an International Women's Day conference, which, again, talking about echoing the modern world, it's, there's always a conference on this stuff. So, <laughs> uh, and they decided to make this an annual event so that's how we get to our international women's day event and so in 19 this is in 1910 uh so Uh the year after the 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 i I also
2: oh yeah okay 1910 right i always think of margaret sanger uh, from that time that that there was something bubbling you know
0: there's so much we could i we could like uh, we always talk about we could do a whole series of podcasts just on that era
1: uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I mean because this was swinging into Berlin in the 1920s which was, you know, a hotbed of all sorts of pro- progressive ideas from LGBTQ ideas to socialist and labor I mean it was all popping. Yeah, in Paris. Yeah, and Paris exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. But but here. <laughs> here
2: too. <I'm> here. Amazingly. <laughs> There was it was not very long after that, I think I I read something about them actually calling it International Women's Day in Russia uh, in 1913, but then, you know, hitting the streets after the war.
0: Yeah, well, okay, so, um, so 1911, there's the first year that it's sort of celebrated officially, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Denmark. Uh. Um, and they uh, demand the right to vote and, gender, and uh, stop gender discrimination in the workplace. So one of those two things has changed. Um, and, then, uh, and, uh, and then, like you say, in Russia, it becomes something that is celebrated. And now we get to what you were talking about, Vicky, which is this this explosion uh, of the Russian Revolution, which I was, I, I don't know, I'm sure you have the same feeling. I was blown away when I found out that we always hear about the October Revolution and Lenin, and you see all those, those uh, realist Soviet paintings of Lenin with his hand on his, you know, hand outstretched, you know, speaking to a crowd, and suddenly the revolution begins. But it's actually with these women that yeah. the revolution begins.
2: <laughs> Bre- and, and even before that, the, the whole idea of bread and roses comes from Russia, the bread yes. and roses campaign. Yeah.
0: Could I mean, you, say, I, could I you did, say more about that? Pardon? Could you say more about that? I I didn't really yeah you know, I I don't really know much about that. Do you? What's What's the Bread and Roses campaign?
2: Uh, let's see. Maybe I'm conflating. Actually, maybe it was in America. Well, I still I,
0: like the I still like the name anyway.
2: Well, I do too. I love it. You know, I have such a moving uh, memory of. Um, th- do you know the movie uh, Pride? No. It's a wonderful, just wonderful so creative, sort of independent movie called Pride, made uh, about the year 1985 uh, in Britain. And uh, it's about the gay movement there, and but it's also very much about the uh, miners' strike mm-hmm. that went on for a, a couple of years. And the way that the uh, gay group in London uh, actually decided to raise money for the miners and they ended up going to
1: it's really i've seen the ads for that
2: yeah yeah in the 80s it's brilliant it's very heartwarming and in one scene when they're up in wales at this place that has sort of inadvertently uh, allowed them to come um and the gays are getting together with the miners um the the women, the Welsh women, spontaneously, uh, one woman starts it, break into song and sing the Bread and Roses anthem. Oh, nice. and and then all the people, the whole community, uh, they stand up and sing it together. I mean, it's really one of the most uh, touching, inspiring, kind of uh, political things I've ever seen uh, on the screen. really. Nice really excellent and then the other thing i think of that i that, that's visual and locked in my brain forever is the from the movie reds and the russian revolution but it's the it's the russian people walking down the street you know and coming toward the streetcar and just they've taken over the streets and it's about the bread
1: there was also a women's uprising in paris before you know the the revolution that we all know in paris and that was again it was a women's strike because Uh of food shortages because they couldn't feed their families that's right it was in the late
2: 1800s yeah well and then uh in the russian case they actually they stayed on strike and they got the they got
1: the czar out
0: yeah that's the thing that i thought was amazing that they toppled the czar Yeah. yeah Yeah,
1: the bread, uh, bread and roses is from uh, an, a line attributed to this textile strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts, in between January and March 2012. Oh. Uh-huh. And it was uh, the their sort of slogan was bread for all and roses too, as a symbol of not just sustenance but respect, but uh, you know, dignity uh-huh. that they were not only striving to survive but they were striving to be. Um, allowed to have dignity and beauty. Yes. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they did in this case, in the, in the Russian case, it was the textile workers. And then they got together, you know, they kind of encouraged the other workers, the metal workers, they, they brought people together, uh, but it was started by these women. And again, another interesting thing about erasing history in some of the things that I had read about this particular uh, moment in history they were you know they would often say just like we'll hear a little bit later when we talk about some of the tech stuff uh it was you know there are some questions as to whether these women really organized this thing or this just kind of happened uh so again kind of dismissing <laughs> any agency involved in this but
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just happened to be in the square when there was an enormous, well-organized demonstration going on. How could that it's, it's have happened? Women.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's always the thing we make fun of with, like archaeologists. Maybe they were there looking for their boyfriends. And there so you go. That's what happened. Um,
1: <laughs> yes. So February
0: 1917, uh, the women's the protest. Couples, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's the actually. The Amazing. It's, it's amazing, and it, but it does get adopted, and uh, the International Women's Day as an as a annual celebration gets really supported in the Soviet bloc countries initially, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh-huh. and, and the Soviet Union makes it an official holiday in 65, and once they do that, then, of course, all the other satellite states want to curry favor, and then they begin to celebrate, so the states so like Bulgaria and other places, although... Uh, to its credit, uh, obviously Germany was a central place for this because, as we said, that's where the you know, Clara Zetkin and the other German socialist women, had you know proposed this as an annual celebration, and so East Germany was particularly focused on International Women's Day and then an honor of the day. Or what do we, what do we? Because uh, I know the the German language is something dear to you, don't I? Think it was Frauentag that we uh?
1: Frauentag, yes, which yes. means you know, in typical German fashion, the way to create a new word is just take two nouns that exist and shove them together. So <laughs> Frauentag basically is Women's Day.
0: Mm-hmm. so it's uh it is celebrated there and it, i think it's still it's one of the places where it's still sort of celebrated in a more serious manner and understanding that although when we talk about other international celebrations as we found yesterday it's a lot of things of like yeah cho- i don't know if they said chocolates but it was, they might as well have said chocolates uh, <laughs> and flowers and it's all this not
2: gifts, stuff. So, I yeah. Said, yeah 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 I found the line that caused me to conflate the Russian and the American. Uh, the it says about the St. Petersburg um, uprising: once unleashed, their cries for bread and peace could not be quelled, and the and then the <clears throat> czar was had to abdicate. So bread and peace, bread and roses. Sorry, mm-hmm. I put those together. No,
0: it's just still the same. It's a great just the the fact of it is is amazing, and the fact that we don't know about this is even more amazing, but not surprising. Yeah, um,
2: people so, do keep trying to bring it to the to public attention in some way, but but nobody really organizes the way they organized the women's marches uh, and the pussy hats and things like that. Um, so I well, don't know. It just doesn't get that kind of press.
0: Well, we can talk about a little bit as, because what happens, and I wanted to ask you, I mentioned to you, I wanted to ask you about it, because one of the things in looking at the timeline of how this is celebrated is it gets taken up by second wave feminists, as they call, as they called a certain generation of women. Um, That would be me. That would be you. (laughs) <laughs> so it says it's taken up by second wave feminists in the 60s, and then adopted by the UN in 75. And we'll talk about that latter part, and we'll talk uh-huh. about what this, what this uh-huh. year is. But what was your experience, if any, with how people looked at this uh, at that time, as part of, as being as a second wave feminist?
2: Gosh, I don't remember. Isn't that funny? I, I was very active from uh, 1970. Uh, in the women's movement in Colorado Springs and in the women's health movement nationally. And, uh, and I was really radical and really fired up. And that was my whole life was women's liberation and fem- feminism, excuse me. <clears throat> so it's, uh, you know, I think the mainstream feminist movement is where all the history goes down. And Um, and the movement for the ERA, which we'll talk about, and things like that. So um, I don't really remember anything about International Women's Day. And that doesn't mean that we didn't know about it. But again, I think it never has really, uh, it's never held a central space in, uh, in the U.S., maybe in the West in general, maybe it just hasn't done that the women's oh. marches and other you know there were lots of really important big events that took place in uh, in the 1970s but but in international women's day in particular i don't know
0: I, yeah, i'm I've willing worked. to bet oh, i'm sorry please go. yeah go ahead i was just saying i'm willing to bet just knowing and my love of you know history and politics in that era it's I'm I would I would be willing to bet it's a Cold War issue because was it was taken. Say, up. Okay, yeah, I
1: was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, because it was so popular in the communist bloc countries, And was, uh, I would have yeah, mentioned yeah. it was viewed as you know communist, suspicious, Bolshevik, all that sort of thing here in the states. Yeah,
2: that's probably true that it was. They thought it was too socialist because uh, you know the. In 1972 is when the ERA started. It was first proposed, and um, and in 1975, like you said, Sean, that's when they declared International Women's Day in in this country. But uh, it just wasn't really anything. It wasn't maybe it wasn't grassroots enough here. Yeah, yeah. I just
0: you know there's so much uh, there's so much pushback on on. Obviously, gender is a fault line everywhere, and it can be particularly um, unsettling in in culture because it it upsets the the primary apple cart that people have structured. But when you add this other element that you know it's just you you see all the Soviet nations adopting it, it becomes kind of like well, just to be opposite. Um, contrary you know there's there's the tendency to kind of step away maybe some women activists because there's enough to deal with just being a feminist especially in the 70s but in um, the
2: 70s one of the major um not it wasn't a split but the one of the major ways that we distinguished ourselves in the movement was socialist feminists and cultural feminists
0: oh that's interesting Could yeah. you say more and, about that
2: I was a part of the cultural feminist wing, you know, radical feminists like Robin Morgan, and that was sort of my cohort, my team, um, and the socialist feminists were, you know, very active, and and there was a constant <clears throat> dialogue uh, between the two sides or the two groups, and it was very interesting, you know, it was smart. Um, so I, I had kind of forgotten about that that's that was really more that was more of a discussion that went on in the entire 1970s that, and and with the books that came out you know um a lot of the books were socialist feminist books like uh shulamith firestone and uh who else uh i can't I, there's one about cyborgs but i can't remember her name and then there were the cultural feminists. You know, sisterhood is powerful. And
0: uh, could you could you please say more about just what the distinction is? Just so uh, I mean, because I I could guess what it is, but I just I would I'd be curious, and I'm sure some of the listeners might be. Well, so, there I mean, was
2: a spectrum, of course, but uh, the basically radical feminists were cultural feminists, or we were we were called that. Um, radical feminists wanted to you know smash the nuclear family and uh and marriage as we had known it and get women free in some way to be agents of their own reality and so it tended more either towards separatism very radical women became uh lesbian feminists and actually separated from men at least for periods of time and, you know, had their own land. And, their, and you know, we created cultural institutions. We've talked about that before in different ways on this program, because there were so many things that in the publishing industry, for instance, and the music industry, places where women weren't given venues, we, we created our own. I say we as a collective. Um, and the same with women's health. Women's health was so poor that... We took it on ourselves, you know, and had self-help groups and used speculums. And it was this radical idea of looking at our own vaginas, you know, looking at our own bodies rather than it having only been a male lover or a male doctor, whoever would have seen that part of ourselves. That's the way we thought about things. And that's, that's much more on the cultural side. And then um, the socialist feminists were—they were because they were so strong about workers, you know, and the workers' movements and and the unions and so on—they uh, weren't quite as likely to separate from the men, just like in in uh, African American uh, culture, the women. Didn't really want to separate from the men, you know, because the men are so downtrodden. Uh, you do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so yeah. radical feminists or cultural feminists were um, we just we we just quit everything. We we left the church. We left marriage. We left our husbands. You know, we we left the mainstream culture. We left the uh, economic. Structure, right. <laughs> and right. then we created our own structures, and that was fantastic. the The decade of the 70s is my favorite one ever. You know, because <laughs> there was just there's never been anything like it. We were so free and so creative, and uh, and for a while we could just live in our own reality,
1: and it was phenomenal. It reminds me of, uh, it very much reminds me of that old saying that, you know, there's two ways to change a system. You either work within the system to change it from within, or you leave the system and you build a competing system that will force the original one to change in order to keep up. Yes. So it sounds sort of like the cultural feminists were the leave the existing system and make their own. And the social feminists were change the existing systems from within. Absolutely.
2: And that decade was when that all went down. I mean, it was so powerful. And then, of course, 1980, you know, Reagan came in. And so, so one of the main uh, feminist battles uh, was about abortion and reproductive rights, but it was like we won that battle in 1973. And so so. it it didn't take up the rest of the uh, decade in my mind, because uh, we were able to open a feminist GYN clinic and do our own work, you know, in in Colorado Springs before I moved to Berkeley and and, uh, became spiritual, you know, became a spiritual feminist. Um, But the ERA, that was the big
0: thing. Yes.
2: And and of course, like I say, I hardly, I I sort of remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but not enough, not the way that I adore her now, you know, having read her biographies and seen her movie and everything. Um, But that was, she was the more mainstream part of that whole uh, second wave. And we were, you know, the radical fringe. So it depends on your perspective. But the ERA was the most exciting thing uh, that we can look back on, I think, from that decade. And especially because it's up right now. Right. I
0: was going to ask if you wanted to just start, you know, to talk about that because it's up right now. And that was of that moment you were part of.
2: Yeah, and I mean it was just happening, you know. (laughs) It was it was uh, proposed to the states. I guess the Congress has to do it that way, and then three quarters of the states have to ratify. So that all started in the early '70s, and uh, in the late '70s, they had got a lot of the states to ratify, and they extended the time limit. And that was very strongly supported at the time. And so obviously they could do that again, and, and maybe they have, because now they have finally, after the last few years, the last five years, they've gotten the other two states that they needed. It was Nevada, and then I can't remember. Do you guys remember? Somebody just ratified
1: I believe it was Illinois. Illinois oh no, yeah, exactly. Virginia was the oh. latest. Yeah, really? so okay. it passed yeah. the the amendment passed the House and the Senate in 1978. So the bill went through Congress, Congress, and was approved. But with any you know um, yeah. any amendment to the Constitution, they need a certain number of states to ratify it before it can actually go into um, go into practice. It can become an amendment to the constitution and become the law of the land. So, so now, after 50 years, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. been ratified so, and, uh, and Nevada I, ratified it in 2017, Illinois ratified it in 2018 and hmm. Virginia became the 38th state oh, to ratify so the ERA okay. in 2020. Okay. Yes. So, the so last- I, I saw that um, I saw a little clip
2: of Ariana Presley in the in the house, putting forth a resolution now uh, mm-hmm. from the Senate Judiciary Committee, I think, and then uh, and then they're going to vote. It's already passed by the House this time since February, um, and and supposedly has bipartisan support. So we'll see. Uh, it, it, that's it. Seems
1: it 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 seems like it would be. Just an amazing thing if we could do that right now.
2: That's what you
1: can do for uh, international, to celebrate International Women's Day. Yeah, exactly. That's the ERA. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Dawn, did you have the same experience uh, since we are contemporaries? I always felt like I heard a lot about the ERA as a kid and then. I never heard anything. It felt like I never heard anything about it for decades. Yes, and well, then- it was really
2: completely shut down by Phyllis Shafley.
1: Schlafly, yeah. Schlafly yeah.
2: and her group. And the best I, – I read a book uh, – let me see when this book came out. I read this book in the last decade. It was so exciting. It was such a page-turner. In It's it's uh, Marjorie J. Sproul – Uh, from 2017 and the name of the book is Divided We Stand, The Battle Over Women's Rights and Family Values That Polarized American Politics. I read this book and I felt like I was waking up out of a dream or something, you know, like that we just did not take Phyllis Schlafly seriously. Right, she was so. She seemed a fool, and uh, the whole thing seemed so silly. And uh, you know, they were really making all kinds of attempts, visually and theatrically, to go back to you know the the happy family and all family values and all that. But uh, wow, after I read this book, I felt like I we just weren't. We weren't watching. And in 19, I think it was 77, they had, uh, was it 75, they decided was the year of the woman, I think. But 1977, they had a big national convention, and it was supported by the president and the the White House. And, you know, it was supposed to be, uh, it was all about the ERA. And, and it was supposed to be like a really simple project. They were just going to pass the ERA, you know, and get it ratified. And that was going to be that. And instead, Phyllis Schlafly kind of came out of nowhere. She, along with, uh, you mean, remember Anita Bryant
0: mm-hmm.
2: and her orange juice?
0: The orange juice, right.
2: <laughs> and yep. her songs, you know, on TV. I mean, she was really... She was really uh, the nemesis of uh, the the gay movement, but Phyllis Schlafly was ours. She took it. She took it down, and the best way, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, this book is fantastic. If you have it in, you read the book. Um, but there was a mini series just two years ago, I think, maybe maybe 2020. Yeah, I think maybe 2020. Mrs. America.
1: Yeah, did did either of you? I didn't watch it, but I remember uh, hearing quite a bit about it. Yeah, I watched.
0: I watched one some of the episodes.
1: Huh. I watched it. I have watched it
2: so many times. Oh, really? Yes. I I was knocked out when I saw this. It's it's a historical drama. You know, it's a feature. Well, it's a series, but so uh, I think it had seven. Uh, I think it had, let me find the episodes cause they're great. Uh, I, I think okay. we're,
0: I, I think we're coming up with another podcast, uh, review. <laughs> yes, to...
1: There you go. Perhaps yeah, it could we'll be,
2: it. It could be, I mm-hmm. felt like when I saw the series, I felt like they must've taken it from the book I had read divided. We stand, but they never credited or anything. And, uh, and it's uh, written by other people, so I don't I don't really know if there's a connection, but but there ought to be. I mean, it was like the same thing. Anyway, the first they they divide it into episodes based on pretty famous women that most of us probably have at least heard of, and so the first one is Phyllis Phyllis Schlafly, um, and then the next episode is Gloria, so mm. Gloria Steinem. Right, uh, and the next episode is Shirley for mm. Shirley, Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm. It yeah. was like uh, a blast from the past for wow. me, you know. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And then, the, and then the fourth uh, episode is Betty <laughs>
1: Betty for Dan.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then two couples that uh, appeared on television together and talked about the era, um, and then uh, Jill. Uh, Jill Ruckelshaus, house. I now again see she was so much in uh, like a centrist and in politics she was a Republican, but oh, she wow. was a feminist, and so that segment was really interesting to me because I I didn't I know her name but I didn't know, you know anything about her, and then the seventh one is Bella Bella Abzug, wonderful, um, and 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 these are all played by good actors, you know. Uh, the uh, let's see, uh, Phyllis Schlafly is played by Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, oh my is, god, it was yeah, so wonderful! Brilliant, she did,
1: yeah, she was brilliant.
0: It, she's amazing,
1: she's terrible. an amazing actress, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and terrible indeed.
2: And terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: Sean, you ask oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, just that there was one last uh episode called Houston. Or no, sorry, two last episodes. But the one called Houston was the big convention, and mm-hmm. it was at that big convention in, uh, I believe, 1977, when they, uh, when the Phyllis Schlafly group really, really activated, you know, and mobilized their whole Christian. Community across the nation in all the states. They it was just amazing, and they mobilized and they came to Houston and they had their own big thing, you know, their own kind of rally and uh, and convention and all that, and and it was effective, and that's why you don't. That's why you stopped hearing about it, Sean. It just died, this pathetic death. It was killed by women
0: in yes. many ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And what they say, which is so true, which I thought was so deeply, profoundly true, is that what happened around the ERA and what they're trying to portray in this series and certainly in the book that I read um, is that it had a direct bearing on the political climate in which we find ourselves today? Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's so true. Kate Blanchett uh, was also an executive pro- producer on the series. You know, it was just wonderful. And uh, and then the Shirley Chisholm. You know, they brought in intersectionality and uh, and all the issues that came up for the white. Women's movement with the black women. They had uh, first of all Margaret Sloan. I knew her, and that was very interesting. The Margaret Sloan character, that and Ms. Magazine when they had the Gloria uh, episode, it focused a lot on Ms. Magazine, which came out in 1972, and was so it was just so potent, you know. And then and then finally the last episode is the Reagan. And Phyllis Schlafly trying to get on the Reagan cabinet and coming close. But uh, then they, they just threw her under the bus.
1: They got what they wanted. So they yep. didn't need her yeah, anymore. They got yeah. what they wanted and then they didn't need her. It was so terrible.
2: Yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's really asked, worth watching.
1: Yeah. You asked Sean what, what experience I had with it. And, you know, um it, as Vicky intimated, by the time I was conscious of things, the e r a was pretty much dead i mean the 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 initial deadline for ratification by the states was nineteen eighty two hmm. so yeah you know, i by the time I was aware of the political climate, to my understanding the e r a had failed, yeah. So it's. And they did
2: extend the time for a little while, uh, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And the thing just died in utero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sad. It was so, it was devastating because then Reagan and everything about him, and then Margaret Thatcher, a little bit later but kind of at the same time you know it just it's like the the tone that's happening now in the world it isn't happening in one place it is
1: an interesting parallel that um you know progressive women uh ignored or were just not prepared for the impact of phyllis schlafly and her coterie in a very similar way to um the way that progressives just did not see our former president. Right. Uh, and his coterie. Uh, they didn't see the danger and the uh, impact. That yeah, didn't take it seriously. Mer- yeah, didn't take it seriously.
2: Yeah. And Michael Moore, you know, I always say he's my favorite matriarchal man. No offense, Sean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> none, none taken.
2: One, one of several that I appreciate. Um, he, he, t- he's, he told us, you know, Trump was going to win. He warned us. Yep, hardly so, anybody saw it coming, and that's yeah. the way we were. We just yeah. didn't, just didn't take it seriously. I, take it
0: seriously. I, I think where where that is the problem with this, where oh, any progressive issue, not just with women's issues, is is class in our culture is something that was always uh, progressives were always closely aligned with, but have, have you know, in my opinion, in the last few years, lost the connection to working people. Uh, and working people have become suspicious of progressive activists. And, and that's where movements that are, that, that can seem, um, you know, sort of reactionary get, no. take hold because it's, because progressives aren't engaging working people. Um, so anyway, that's just a, not to go off on a tangent, but I think that's which how that brings kind of gets lost. us
1: back yeah. to <laughs> International Women's Day, which, you, you know, go. was closely allied with the, um, with the labor movements when mm-hmm. it first started. Exactly. And now we um, do have a resurgence of, uh, the
2: labor movement.
0: Indeed. That's,
2: that's a really good thing happening right now. I mean, well,
0: it's a, yeah, hopefully it's a cycle, you know, maybe it's a symbol, yeah. you know, a signal that we're the cycle for women's movements, labor movements, all these things. We're just starting to return to, you know, the hopefulness. I always say, Vicki, that maybe, <laughs> there, is, maybe there is a break a coming. We we pray anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah that would be wonderful.
0: Um, but yeah, if we talk about... Um, the the international women's day in terms of what the UN has a theme each year. And this year, the theme is, uh, digital. So the word digital, but spelled as if it's digit with a L L and it's called innovation and in technology for gender equality. So it's a focus on the, the aspects of using that tech and how it may promote gender equality. Now that um, seems
2: really out of touch. That's interesting.
0: So, so say more, please.
2: Well, I, I mean, the move, the movement. Well, first of all, the tech uh, thing has been very unkind to women, and and it's and you know, there's a whole epidemic they're calling it of teenage girls from from the social media that they're consuming are suicidal. And we've already talked about how some of them don't want to be girls anymore, so they want to be boys. So if we add up all those girls that are becoming boys and all those girls that are uh, at least attempting suicide or having suicidal ideation, you know, and nobody wants to be a feminist anymore, it's really frightening. And I think the tech thing is just, it's so uh, it's, I don't know if it's causal, but it has accelerated the pornographic culture that the girls have to live in and the, their treatment online. Even just the gaming culture, you know, is so toxic for girls. Um, so I don't, I, I don't see how that could possibly be. I think that's somebody's idea where they didn't exactly ground it.
1: Well, what,
0: I is, think what is, the, oh,
1: please sorry. yeah, um, unfortunately, tech, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because i'm 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 uh, I'm old enough that a lot of this tech really uh, just doesn't um, doesn't come naturally to me. But tech is not going away.
0: But what are the ki- what are the kids and, saying, Don?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so I think that the digital theme is in keeping with the um, emphasis, and the programs that are being developed in STEM for women and girls. So um, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and um, um, op- trying to open up more um, pathways, or perhaps I should say reopen them
0: yeah. since
1: uh, just, yeah, technology, just one thing, yeah. One computing thing. started mm-hmm. with women. Did yeah, it? Well-
0: so we'll yes, talk about yeah we'll talk about Ada Byron, but also <laughs> just as a as a note to Vicky, my thought is people weaponize different sorts of advancements and different technologies and different developments. Uh, I don't think that it has to be inherently sexist or racist or homophobic or anything of that sort. It is it no, is it a, just, a it tool. Just
2: turned, it just turned out that way.
0: Well, I think also the thing that happens too is it it turns out that way because we have a culture because our culture is still that way and so uh, a good example maybe is like a, a analogy might be the film industry you know in the beginning of the film industry it was there were yeah. so much the a dominance of women who were editors and screenwriters and and film, you know even early filmmakers yeah. and once that became a money making thing those women were pushed aside very quickly And suddenly this very female uh, sort of uh, leaning industry becomes a male-dominated industry. And tech is similar to that because... You know, uh, Dawn's going to talk about some of the competing women, but really the the, the mother of a lot of, uh, it's argued, of course, because, of course, women's achievements are a race, but Ada Byron, Ada Lovelace, I always say Ada Byron, Dawn and I were talking about that. Lord Byron's daughter, Lord Byron's one, my favorite poets, so that's why I always default to Ada Byron, but Ada Lovelace was... Has been considered the mother of computing programs. She was a mathematician. Her mother encouraged her to be a mathematician because well, when you're Byron's daughter, Byron wasn't exactly a very stable guy. uh, Brilliant poet, and I love,
1: but not the best father figure and head of household. Exactly, Um, indeed.
0: Exactly. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's really he's very similar. The Romantics, as we know were very similar to our 60s rock stars. I mean, that the same sensibility, the same, you know, but mindset. Back to <laughs> yeah, but back Ada. Yeah. Anyway, just but the reason I'm bringing just that up is tell me about because,
2: her. I don't know about her.
0: Yeah. Ada is, uh, Ada was his daughter, and her mother encouraged her, and that's why I was bringing up about the, what these guys were like, because her mother did not want her to develop the same kind of madness that her father had. So she encouraged her in mathematics and in science. And so what she did was she was tutored and she learned a great deal. And she came into the acquaintance of Charles Babbage, who was a mathematician and an inventor. And he's called the father of computing. Uh, he was one of the first people, and this is in the early 19th century, so the early 1800s, to, um, to develop the concept of computing. Although Ada is credited really with having the greater vision about what a computer could do. So the way we look at a computer as something which is not, which is a general use device and can do many things uh, for us, like we do, like like we use it for now was Ada's kind of vision, and she is credited with being the first person to write a program, a a workable computer program, an algorithm. When when
2: was this, Sean?
0: This is the early 19th century. So, Byron...
2: I'm sorry. sorry. Can I just try to get uh, anchored here in space and time? I don't understand, because I didn't understand that there was anything like a computer. I thought like in hidden figures, I thought the computer came in a hundred years later. Oh, oh and no. absolutely it did
1: yeah well, it's but, just but, the it's the mathematical theorems and yeah. the higher math that led that sort of uh, when you follow that math, that's the path that um, computer computing. Came from, so she sort of started that branch of mathematics Uh that led to um, the type of mathematics that would develop computers. But
0: actually, but to be clearer, though, actually, she did also talk about a general-purpose mechanical machine.
1: Oh, so it wasn't yes, just the analytical yeah, machine, yeah, yeah. So not right. just
0: yeah. the the idea of the mathematics, but how that mathematics would be used as a machine. So in a sense, yes, a hundred years later, we could do it. That we developed the kind of tech that could be could support it. But the concept of it was something that was developed. Charles Babbage, of course, rightly gets a lot of credit for it. But Ada uh, Lovelace. Uh, sometimes gets credit for it, but we know one of the things that I discovered in the research is the reason she was discredited was people were uh, misdating her correspondence and saying, well, she couldn't have possibly have known this. Well, we know why they say that because she was a yeah. woman, but she couldn't possibly have known how to do these particular things because she wouldn't have had the training or education by that point. But when you go back and look at the actual uh, research and the information, yes, she was clearly already had been well on her way of learning so yes
2: and you know artistic people and radicals they tend to be way ahead of the game in terms of education um, self-education you know I'm thinking of uh, Elizabeth Katie Stanton who uh, homeschooled her children because she thought that the people <laughs> educating them were too dense yeah. and wouldn't do a good enough job and she was probably right
0: yeah. I, oh, and just to to finish up, because I know Don, you've got a, a lot in terms of the the women who came in computing. Because this is, you know, uh, as I say, Vicki, you know, it does remind me a lot of film, the, the world of film, and how much women were involved in that. Yeah. Uh, and this is why I would would say that it's not. I do not think tech is inherently misogynist or male. Um, I think that it's just simply. A field of study. And, well, the
1: industry and the, is the industry because absolutely our society agree. Yeah. is inherently misogynistic and male. Yeah, and that everything in it bends Slides. that way. Bends Slides yeah. in that
0: direction. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, the way we know about Ada's uh, knowledge is that she was translating from Italian, yet another brilliant skill of hers. Um, an article that an Italian mathematician wrote about Charles Babbage's. Uh, uh, proposal for this computing machine and in it she gives a, notes that are three times as long as the article and that's how we know so much about her, wow. mind, her mindset etc cetera, etc cetera. and with that I will pass this on to the next level <laughs> the next uh, <laughs> stage yeah. in history of so computers computing.
1: as as sort of as we know them um, uh, was developed around World War II. Were uh-huh. primarily developed around World War II, and this is probably what you're thinking of, Vicky. That uh, the yeah. ENIAC, yeah. the ENIAC, which um, was invented uh, in 1945, 1946. Uh-huh. Is in that there. hidden figures? Is that no? That was uh, no hidden last... figures. Is later. Okay. Yeah, hidden figures is
2: later. Is but... that like the like Enigma? The co- the guy that broke the code for. No, nope, that's something else as well. But the computer,
1: it was a computer. The ENIAC was here in the States. Okay. Yeah. The okay. Enigma code was over in Britain. Okay, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, two men were credited, and I'm going to say we're credited because we all know that history erases women. So two men were credited with designing ENIAC, and of course, when it was, you know, uh released to the public. They were the two, uh, the only two that were celebrated as having created this incredible new technology. But um, there were over 100 female mathematicians that were working as computers in the sense of they were the ones who computed. Um, The verb was turned into a noun referring to these women. And uh, they were the ones who were programming the hardware, and of course, the hardware was considered the only thing that was important. But they were creating the software. Um, in the beginning, they weren't even allowed into the giant room where the computer existed, which was like fifty feet by thirty feet. This you know enormous machine because they didn't have the security clearance, and so they handed women paper diagrams of the computer and they were expected to program it using paper diagrams. They had no programming languages or manuals because none of those things existed. So they sort of developed computer programming because they were you know, expected to make the, this ENIAC work. Huh. Um, there was a general sense that the the computer itself was the important thing and so this was considered sort of secretarial work even though it was an incredibly intellectually demanding job it required trained mathematicians and they were sort of inventing programming languages as they go um, there's a Couple of uh, good sources if you want to learn more about this. Jean um, Abate wrote a book called Re- Recoding Gender.
2: Oh. Um,
1: and then there's also a documentary called The Computers, which is about this period in time with ENIAC. Um, unlike a lot of wartime jobs that women held that completely disappeared as soon as the war was over, women were able to sort of stay in place a little bit longer um, in these jobs because no one else in the world, like no one knew how to do this. They had, they had invented this job and uh, invented the skills, uh, came up with the skills to do this job. So when the war was over, the army didn't immediately fire them. But because this new technology was just taking off, they hired as many people as they could, and that included both men and women. Um, Grace Hopper is, I think, the sort of second mother of computing, or at least the second mother of women in computing. Um, She was one of the programmers, and she was... um, she sort of made it her mission to bring as many women into this job as possible after the war. She wanted to keep women in this field. And so, um, she like did interviews in Cosmo saying things that, you know, being a computer girl is just like planning a dinner. <laughs> re- you know, it requires patience and the ability to handle detail. So mm-hmm. women are naturals at it. You know, it's really selling it, um, to women. And, possibly because of her influence and also because of these experiences in the war, uh, women in programming, the percentages of women in programming remained much higher, uh, than those of women in other STEM fields. Wow. Yeah. So this, um, so this was in the fifties and sixties and, um, or this was in the forties and fifties. And then in the sixties, uh, when more and more, uh, money was entering the field again, Sean, you know, as soon as it starts to become all about capitalism, then employers really began to, they like created tests and, um, and personality profiling so that they could weed women out of the field mm. and, um, and keep it sort of more of make it transfer it to, um, a masculine sort of, you know, it takes, it takes a a commanding sense of, you know, action to be able to, to program a computer. And so, you know, of course it, it, they sort of use that to push women out of the field. Um, The hidden figures uh, was over at NASA. Yeah. Um, So, you know, related, but not the same. And, uh, And the hidden figures, again, um, these were the word calculator. Also, just like the word computer also comes from uh, the work that the women did because they were, again, brilliant mathematicians and they were working at Langley and looking at how to get John Glenn into orbit. So this was during the space race. Yeah. And um, so the human computers, women who computed or women who calculated, so they were often called calculators. Um, And as the, you know, amazing movie Hidden Figures uh, revealed to us, you know, these um, these sort of pink ghetto type of jobs um, were given to women because it was considered sort of menial labor to do all of these mathematical calculations even though you know it was an incredibly skilled um, highly intellectual job
2: yeah and the the movie just to, uh, an aside about hidden figures is that you know we use the word now intersectionality but mm-hmm. that's what that movie showed more than anything the the being a woman was already really difficult being a black woman in, in that context where women were doing the computing. You know, it was a double dose of exactly. patriarchy.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, so the idea of this International Women's Day focusing on women in STEM, particularly women in uh, digital fields like computer programming, is actually very similar to the way that you know International Women's Day started here in the States ha- had to be adopted and carried forward by other people before it could come back to the states and um, be an opportunity for um, American women to be celebrated and hopefully advanced in the culture. Mm-hmm. In a similar way, you know, tech and computing, really was the domain of women when it started and then they were pushed out and it's fabulous
2: to imagine what it could have turned
1: into had, yeah similar women, to yeah had women been at the forefront of yes. it the in, during its entire development and how they
2: would have decided to use it you know that's i mean that's true in every field if, yeah. if women were governing uh, society, how would it be different? You know, and I don't mean you know the Marjorie Taylor Greens or the Margaret Thatchers. I mean women as a
1: group. Yes, women. Together. And that, of course, is why we must make matriarchy great again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. <laughs> thank you. Well, I think that's a really nice place to to bring this all to a close. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Vicki Noble for joining us yet again. Yes, my pleasure. And uh, thank you, Sean Marlin Newcomb, for being our, well, not our Vicky's favorite, man. but <laughs> our favorite, collectively our favorite matriarchal man.
0: <laughs> Give a little smattering. Thank you, guys. It's always wonderful. All these discussions are always just such a joy. So thank you. Yeah, that was fun.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. Happy International Women's Day. And we will see you again soon on 34 Circe Salon. Make Matriarchy Great Again. Blessed be. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.